on this episode of the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. How much of an emotional burden are we required to take on? Um, because you only have so much to give. You can't take on all of it. You can't take on the world's problems. You'll fall to pieces if you do. This is the Wild Rose Vet Podcast with Dr. Savannah Howes-Smith. Today, I'm chatting with Dr. Dale Putra, who is a wonderful colleague of mine out at Rocky Rapids Veterinary Service. Uh, Dale is a fantastic veterinarian. I am loving watching her grow and uh, become her own veterinarian and spread her proverbial professional wings, and it's an absolute privilege to see that. And I'm really happy to have her here today. We're going to talk about some uh, uh, some some heavier topics, I think. Would you agree, Dale, that the uh, discussion of um, things like euthanasia usually trends toward a more, I want to say, a serious note. Yeah, definitely not as upbeat, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) And in some ways, I wonder if maybe we... um, One thing that I really uh, like to think about is um, how people think that euthanasia is the hardest part of our job, but in Mm -hmm. reality, I find many times it is... One of the more rewarding, I want to say, and it's actually one of the more helpful ways that I think that we can provide care for people and their animals. And I've the interesting thing is seeing the rituals around euthanasia in different cultural contexts. In that I mean, like, you know, you get you get the comfort room, you have all these things that you need to say and the way that you go about doing it. And then mm-hmm. they let you loose into the real world and you realize that there's a ton of different ways that people will uh, have expectations of how a euthanasia is supposed to go, when to euthanize, whether euthanasia is the right thing to do or not. Um, mm-hmm. Have you have you been feeling that at all? Like since uh, since you're fresher out of school than I am, have you noticed a difference between the way that they teach how to do euthanasia versus what actually happens in the real world? Yeah, it's it's a good question. I mean, I think like we didn't get taught a lot about euthanasia I don't think to be honest with you I mean like in fourth year you're right like we have the comfort room and we set up like candles and there's tissues and um we talk about euthanasia as like a treatment option right so Mm -hmm. I do think it's a it's a big part of our job but I don't think that there was enough info on it in school Mm -hmm. um as most things, you know, when you yeah. go to vet school and <laughs> yeah. then you're like, hey, teach me about this. Um, so I think that's just classic for most of most of practice so far for me. But <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's hard because it's it's most mostly the emotional toll and that sort of stuff that you're not prepared for mm-hmm. um, when you come into practice and communicating with clients in an emotionally appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And that changes whether they're very emotional or not emotional at all. Um, and I think that's really challenging when talking about euthanasia because to some extent, like somebody will bring me an animal and they'll be like, you know, I understand this is an expensive treatment. Like Mm -hmm. I want you to just euthanize the animal and they're more straight up about it because Mm -hmm. it's what fits best for the lifestyle, the pet and like economically. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fair. I think what's hard for me specifically is when um, people bring me an animal and they're, they want to do their best for the animal. And I know what's best for the animal is for it to be euthanized Mm -hmm. if we're not going to afford treatment and stuff like that. But 
communicating that to an owner and they like, I don't know. I, I've, I've been finding that really tricky because like, I feel empathetic and I feel sad, of course, and those mm-hmm. sorts of things and all the emotions. But then I guess dealing with that in the situation is what's been, it's what they don't teach you in school. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And it's uh, what I always find the first Every time I do a euthanasia, the first minute or two is always the most nerve-wracking for me. Most people think that mm-hmm. it's the actually the doing the act itself, but it's not. What I have, mm-hmm. what what makes me the most, uh, I don't want to say necessarily nervous, but where I'm really like tentative is the first minute or two when I'm trying to suss out um, the emotional level of the owner, the right. type of connection they have with the animal, the situation itself, um, the appropriateness of the euthanasia, um, all those things because it's uh, it's really – I found it happened a lot more often when I was a newer grad to go in there mm-hmm. uh, completely tone deaf and you say – you're like either you are more emotional and more attached to the animal than the owner is or you are coming across as cold and callous because they're extremely emotional. <laughs> and so trying to uh, kind of like gauge where the person is at I think is really one of the, the things that I've only really – come to figure out over time. Mm -hmm. Learning to withhold judgment. That was something that Mm -hmm. was when I was a new grad was really, really hard for me, where I would be judging like this animal should have been euthanized sooner or it's too soon to euthanize and like having those that inner monologue because I mean, it was professional enough, thankfully, to not say it out loud. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, learning over time, um, I feel like I've become a big softy where I don't judge as harshly anymore. Where even mm-hmm. if the animal, let's say, let's say the animal, you know, is still doing relatively well on a quality of life scale, but the owner wants to euthanize, I'm no longer um, upset by that kind of thing. I'm more like, this is where they're at. This is their decision. This is their animal, and just coming to an empathetic understanding that they know the animal best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I definitely did not graduate with. <laughs> it's something right. I've learned over time to kind of just like I don't I don't want to say lighten up, but like loosen up and just understand that um, it's not my place to judge and it's not my place to necessarily make that decision either. And even if like even the ones the ones I have a hard time with is when it need they they really should be euthanized sooner, and the owner mm-hmm. has a hard time coming to terms with that. And where I found solace is figuring out how to improve the palliative care that I offer. Mm-hmm. Um, because then at least, because I know I can't force them to euthanize an animal that I think needs to be done, um, but I can at least uh, alleviate some of the suffering to give the owner time to come to that conclusion themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like a couple of things that hit me like through school that I still carry with me. I think one time one of our professors said, you know, like the animal doesn't know like, and this is how I kind of feel about like chemo treatments and that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff too, as Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. um, like the animal doesn't see hope. The animal doesn't feel like, um, relief for when it's done its treatments or like, it doesn't know that there might be a positive or a negative outcome. Like those are human emotions we're putting Mm -hmm. onto it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the animal knows that it's suffering and it's in pain, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's something that I don't think most owners understand. And, like that the animal doesn't like they're like oh it got happy when i brought it food or whatever you know like that's true but the animal doesn't wait for its meals and then i don't know like it it, it, the animal knows it's in pain is kind of how i see it yeah living very in the moment 
Yeah, exactly. And then the other thing is that I really kind of have trouble with um, when we did like our communications in school and like talking about euthanasia and they said, what does every veterinarian have um, when they go into euthanasia? And the answer is a script, you know? Like we talk about like, these are the things we want to talk about. Like, mm-hmm. have you been present for euthanasia before? Like, mm-hmm. these are what we're going to expect. Like, it's non-painful. This is the drug that's going to stop mm-hmm. the heart and then the brain or, or the mm-hmm. brain and then the heart or whatever. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And and I've worked with a lot of vets who stick to that script so clearly through euthanasias. And what you're kind of describing as, I guess, like sussing out the emotional and the impact, like you can't say the same thing to everyone. No, I agree with you. And that's maybe that's why we're, I hate to say, but we're both relatively good at euthanasias. (laughs) Um, And in that it's a good service that we provide, I think, because we both agree that a rote script isn't, isn't appropriate. I don't think, Um, I think meeting a person where they're at is, is kind of my goal. Right. Um, It's harder to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is well that's that's the thing though right like because the reason for the script and I agree with you that it's a service and like it's a good thing and a good part of your job but I also think that it is very difficult for me you know mm-hmm. and and I think the reason behind the script is so that we can maintain some distance and some mental health and some compartmentalization exactly like I think that's the reason behind it and then it's just kind of sussing that out so that it's still a good experience for everyone because I do mm-hmm. deeply care about the animal and the owner and the situation and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And doing that while also not deteriorating my mental health after doing multiple of those things a day, you yeah, know? Yeah. And what I found um, over time, actually letting go of that judgment actually improved how I handled myself after mm-hmm. euthanasias because holding on to that judgment turned into holding on to things like resentment and and grief that wasn't mine to have (laughs) right so um by letting go of judgment and being and having that mindset that i'm providing a service for somebody and for this animal i've found provides that degree of separation that you're talking about um i'm also terrible with scripts because i always forget what i'm supposed to say so (laughs) (laughs) if i can make it up on the spot i'm less likely to mess it up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but, uh, you know, I, I get what you mean by having a – the other problem with having a rote script is that it comes across as insincere after a while. Exactly. Yeah, um, no, it like, totally does. Like you can easily – the good – I mean, on the, one, on the one hand, most people are too distracted to really um, get that. They're, they're really caught up. They obviously are distracted for a good reason. They're, they're caught up with mm-hmm. what's happening. So I find a lot of people may or may not notice that. But I've definitely heard some feedback from some clients that uh, some people do tell that it's just a script and it's just another part of their day and it doesn't, uh, I can't even it's imagine. Insincere. Yeah, like I can't imagine. It would, I would feel awful if I was a pet owner and the vet was like a little robot just trying to. <laughs> and that's, right. but that brings up an excellent point. Um, how much of an emotional burden are we required to take on? Um, because you only have so much to give. You can't take on all of it. You can't take on the world's problems. You'll fall to pieces if you do. So it's a really tricky line between showing enough compassion and empathy without getting overwhelmed by what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. And I find it's easier it's it's easier to do it to kind of separate when it's not a long term client. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen me do a euthanasia on one of my long term clients, but I'm I'm I feel that I don't do as good of a job because I have a tough mm-hmm. time. Um, well, that's the thing. Separating and it's like, myself from the situation. Yeah. And it's like, then I'm easily overwhelmed. So then I'm like, oh, God. And 
then I like could heal myself tearing up, and then I'm like, God, Dale, because it's not about me either, I know, you right? Know? It's not and about it's, you. <laughs> it's like now I'm taking like now the client thinks I'm being selfish because now I'm bawling, and, and yet, you know. and yet, if you if you ask people, most of mm-hmm. them would prefer to see that their vet shows some emotion than somebody some, who shows yeah. none at all. Yeah, but it's like, <laughs> it's that fine line, right? Because then it's like, oh, oh my no. God, like, you can just feel that boiling up inside. And I'm oh like, oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, I actually am bad. I cry at a lot of euthanasias. Um, yeah. There's only, I think I can recall like two or three where I cried more than the owner. And that's probably not appropriate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just too much going on. <laughs> that was too much. But it, you know, yeah. that's the thing, too, is like not every, unfortunately, not every euthanasia is going to be perfect. But I think mm-hmm. as long as, um, as long as uh, we try our best, um it's mm-hmm. yeah cuz i and it's really funny cuz the ones where i think the euthanasia went terrible i usually get really good feedback like thank you cards and stuff and they're like thank you for doing such a good job and mm-hmm. so it's really you know it's 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 hard to get outside your own headspace when you're doing something like that the euthanasia thing like it's not about us or the owner it's well it is about the owner <laughs> um but like it's about like primarily the pet though you know like what's best for that animal um in most situations like I think of course there's situations where um I feel frustrated as well because like behavioral euthanasias I think are rough Mm -hmm. yeah so I think that's frustrating but I, I also do get that as well um because I think that lots of times if we don't provide that service then much worse things will happen to the pet yeah that's definitely as well and with behavioral euthanasias I always come around to quality of life in that many cases mm-hmm. the animal has a poor quality of life in that in that situation um mm-hmm. you know where they are many times animals with behavior issues will then end up sequestered away from everybody for everybody's safety and then you start thinking right. like what kind of a life is that for for them anyways for an mm-hmm. animal that lives in the moment and doesn't understand why they're by themselves all the time for, right. for a social animal that's not fair to them. So mm-hmm. we can we can come around to justify almost all of these. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I, I hate to say it, it uh, euthanasia, in some ways, so euthanasia does get better over time. Like it gets easier, but in other ways it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that every... Every time I do it, I don't know. I'm so torn because I try to go into every euthanasia um, very open about it in that I try to not have any expectations of how it'll go because I've had so many that go great and so many that go horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had lots of experiences where things have uh, not gone well. Either the owner had an issue or something went wrong. And I just nowadays I just show up hoping for the best and it's and it's mm-hmm. very open and, and no judgment and stuff. But I think it's made it so that I wonder if I take on a little bit too much of what's going on and it makes you a little it just wears you down a lot to go into it so open hearted and so freely. Mm-hmm. Putting your heart on your sleeve and then it gets punched every time you do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um and yet I find that it's it's um it does lead to a very nice euthanasia um, experience for both the animal and the person because I try to make sure they're very well sedated and everything's very comfortable and, and nice for the animal too. So mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't think there's any right way to do it. I think there's a few definitely wrong ways. <laughs> I was going to say there's <laughs> I've seen some like working with lots of vets. I've seen some ways that I definitely didn't think would work for me as mm-hmm. far as the process and how people are treated and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But um I, I've seen really lots of great, compassionate veterinarians who communicate well and do really their best for animals and that sort of stuff. And 
And I think like, I don't know, our, our field is so high stress and uh, like long hours and that sort of stuff that it's hard to then kind of be open with people and Mm -hmm. vulnerable and that sort of stuff. And then when people do disrespect you or, um, are rude to you and that sort of stuff. That's why we have such bad mental health in our mm-hmm. field because <laughs> people don't realize, I don't know, it, it it's just hard. And it, I think that's something that I, I will struggle with throughout my career. And mm-hmm. I, I think it's good that it gets a little bit better, but at the same time, I think that if I ever get to the point and some days I already feel like this, so that's mm-hmm. not a good sign for me, but if I ever get <laughs> to the point where like, I'm just, crabby and I don't have any emotions and I just show up Mm -hmm. and like, I'm just a pain in the ass to everyone because I've had enough. Like, I Mm -hmm. I think I should retire, you know, Mm -hmm. like if I, if I can't empathize, I can't be compassionate and I can't do my best for my patients. Mm -hmm. I think that's it for me. (laughs) Well, in some ways I find euthanasia brings me back to that point of that openness, that compassion Mm -hmm. and the empathy because right, it keeps, it keeps it, you grounded. It keeps you, it, it reminds you, you know, mm-hmm. at the core of why we're doing all of this stuff. Because mm-hmm. I find, like, it's easy to get caught up in the inane or the ridiculous and those things. But euthanasia, it's it's a moment where you can clear your mind. You don't have to worry about the 50 billion notes on your desk. You don't have to worry about so-and-so not listening to you. I find it's very grounding because you have to mm-hmm. be in the moment you have right. to be fully present for euthanasias. You don't have to. You can check out. But I find your euthanasia experience for yourself and the owner and the pet or the animal it doesn't even have to be a pet. I mean, I when I've euthanized things like horses and cattle that aren't necessarily pets per mm-hmm. se. Um, it's And wildlife, too, honestly. like mm-hmm. These aren't pets, but I, I bring the same focus and the same attention to it as I do with animals that are owned. And I find mm-hmm. it... That's one of the reasons that euthanasias, oddly enough, are one of the reasons to keep, you know, just remind yourself to be soft instead of exactly. prickly and hard all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, no, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So even though it's 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 tiring, it's it's one of those things where it's a nice, it's a good exercise to remind you of uh, why you do what you do, really. Mm. I can under, I used to not understand how somebody could go into a euthanasia-only practice, but um, the more I I practice veterinary medicine and the more I see the role and the way that euthanasia affects me, I can totally understand why somebody would choose to focus on it. This goes back to my whole kind of my views on kind of animal life and that sort of thing as well. I do think your vet is the person who can assess quality of life and especially when there's um emotional impacts in there and stuff i think your vet it's our job to kind of suss that out and come up with a plan with you as a client as to what's best for the pet i think um and if that's euthanasia then certainly um that's important but i think nobody knows their pet better than the owner i don't think and so i like people ask me too, they'll like, I'll get messages from people or whatever. And they'll be like, this and this is going on. Like, should I euthanize my pet? And I'm like, I be- you basically kind of gauge their quality of life, I think. Um, but I don't know. I think it's interesting because I don't think I can make that call for anyone. What do you think, Savannah? We get asked all the time, 
if this was your pet, what would you do? Yeah. And I usually turn it around and I say, but that's, they, he isn't my pet. He's yours. Exactly. Yeah. And then I basically will explain to them that they are the ones that know them best, just like the way I said. Mm-hmm. And that's why I don't think it's really our call to make. And I think mm-hmm. if you do start feeling that way, it leads to a lot of uh, judgment and resentment when they disagree with you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And sometimes, um, what if you made the wrong call? You know, because I've had lots mm-hmm. of cases where we do palliative care and I was expecting the animal to go downhill right away and they end up bouncing back and doing really well and having a good quality of life on palliative care. So um, we can't we can't play judge, jury, and executioner all the time. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think... Um, it needs to be a, a team effort where, again, we're playing the role of educator or the role of, the, of teaching them, showing them, demonstrating, and being like, so the way that he's not moving up and down so well can indicate pain. Your options are pain control or, you know, considering euthanasia if the pain can't be controlled. And then they have to make that decision. It's not mm-hmm. an easy one to make. And we're we're a guide. We're, teach, we're educators. We're guides. We don't make that choice for them because it's not our choice to make necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I have like a really hard time. Like I always give options, right? Like mm-hmm. like our role is options. I usually give like this would be the gold standard option. Um, the other option would be this. And then like I usually uh, if the case doesn't call for it, then I'm not like humane euthanasia. But like I usually <laughs> offer like if that is a valid treatment option and like I do think euthanasia is a treatment option for an animal, mm-hmm. um, then I always lay that out as one of the possibilities. But I'm not, my job is not to guide you as to which one to pick necessarily, mm-hmm. but to explain the options, what it entails, costs associated with each. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I agree. Like I think at the end of the day, it's it's up to the owner based on how they yeah. They experience their pet and how their pet is experiencing life. And it goes the other way, too, where trying to convince them to treat an animal rather than euthanize it, I think, happens quite often. Mm. And again, that comes down to it's not necessarily your judgment call. It's the owner's. I've seen that mm-hmm. a lot where um, a veterinarian will be like, we should treat this. And the owner's like, well, I'm leaning towards euthanasia. And then they get talked out of it. And I also think mm-hmm. the corollary, that corollary is... Uh, also problematic. But yeah, I wish I had like good tidy answers for you, Dale, but you're going to have to learn it on your own, sadly. I know. I don't I don't want to do my own learning. This is what I say all the time at work. Like, I don't want to practice at things. I just want to be good at them automatically. You just want to be good at it right off the bat. Yeah. It's like, I went to school for so long. Why can't I just be good because at this? That's why it's already. called practice. I know. always practicing. I know. It's, just, it's exhausting. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Wild Rose Vet Podcast. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star rating and a review. And while you're at it, why not tell your friends about us? Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you're listening to us right now. Check out the show notes to see where you can find us on social media and for more information on the Dr. Savannah Wild Rose Vet television series. The Wild Rose Vet Podcast is hosted by Dr. Savannah Howe-Smith. Produced by Trent Wilkie, Shirley McLean, Dylan Wirtz, Tanya Cognigotier, and Valerie Oudmarchand. Recorded by Ian Armstrong at Wolf Willow Studios. With original music by Wayne LaVallee.